Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Max Meiser Home. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully everybody's doing well. Uh, it snowed today here in upstate New York, so I'm enjoying that. Did a little hunting this morning. Saw a few does, getting prepared really for client season here. I start this weekend, and then it's on. I'm really busy booking clients. I will probably be out of space for 24 by the end of this week. I apologize. Uh, the inquiries have really come in pretty heavy the past couple days, and I'm responding back to everybody. You know, fortunately, some people are okay with getting pushed out, but I'm trying to work with everybody to get them in the schedule. So I pr- appreciate your patience and persistence and staying with me and, you know, listening to this podcast and supporting my business, you know, means a lot to me. All right. So, um, I've got my, uh, partner on here and, uh, he's got an interesting story and I think it's been a, a turn of the tides a little bit. If anybody knows Josh Stryker, he's uh, does my implementation work. He's been on this podcast. He's a pretty handy guy, kind of does almost anything you can think of. He's an excellent hunter, you know, and a family guy too, and, and that's part of this conversation. What I wanted to talk about today was his story this season because he's kind of have a he's, he's kind of have a special season in my opinion. I think it's important to share, you know, our experiences in the areas that we hunt and you know, give you an opportunity to kind of understand more about us as, as individuals, right? We're not just people that do work on properties. We're also hunters. We have families, we have lives, and we have to prioritize a lot of things. And, and Josh does, an, I think, a good job of that. And so we'll hear a little bit about, you know, his uh, current situation and just his, his hunting season. Hey, Josh, you on the line? Yeah, I am. All right. Welcome back, and uh, not that we don't talk every day, but you know this is uh, you haven't been on the podcast in a while. I want to get into your hunting season, and I want to kind of start at the beginning. I want people to kind of know, you know, what you experienced this season, at least initially. You know, kind of where you're hunting. Just just give people some background on on kind of what's going on with you. It's been a heck of a season. It started, I guess, in September. Um, my kids are really getting to the age where they, they really want to partake in the hunting. And my son shot his first red squirrel all on his own with a youth 20 gauge I had got for him. And that was, I don't remember exactly when in September, but, um, out behind my house in the bedding area, shooting red squirrels with my son, right when the deer are going hard horned and I'm, and I'm. I couldn't help but think in the back of my mind, you know, 
basically the first part of my season, I, I might as well kiss it goodbye. And, um, but it's worth it. You know, he was having fun and that's how you get kids involved. And a couple weeks later, um, I saw the, the buck that I had hit last year. I knew he was alive. He was hanging around. The neighbor had shared a couple pictures with me. Um, and there was, I think at that point, there was two, two three-and-a-half-year-olds that were hanging around. And the one that I had hit last year was the, the only four-and-a-half-year-old that I knew of um, at that point in time. And let's see, we got beagle puppies. So we were working with the puppies, also walking them behind the house. Um, they were, they're, I think they're five months now. So they're not really doing anything. You're just getting them out there, taking them for walks. Um, let's see what else was about that point in time. Oh, bear season. Usually I've been going down to the Catskills in September for the early bear season for a couple days. And I was fortunate enough to be able to go again this year. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have a newborn at home as well. So very fortunate that I was able to go. My wife can handle the three kids and the animals on her own for a couple days. I was successful down there, shot my first black bear. So that, that was a good way to start the season. And I was happy with just that for the season. And then, um, come home. I had one three and a half year old, a six point that was hanging around regular. And I think it was, can't remember if it was the first or the second week of the season, early in October. It was just a random nice day, got home from work, uh, threw my hunting clothes in the washing machine. I hadn't even done that yet. And I, I was like, you know what? We had like an, an hour, hour and a half left of daylight. I said, hey, kids, you guys want to go hunting? Of course, they both did. So I went in my work clothes, and the kids went in their school clothes, and we just ran out back and jumped in the blind. And... I don't know, probably half hour later, we had a year and a half old buck come in and, uh, my daughter, she started bobbing her head around in the blind. She's like, I can't see him. I can't see him. And the deer's, you know, 15 yards from us. So he busted us and took off. And I was just, you know, you, you try to be as nice as you can in those moments. And I, I just, I'm, I'm like, you know, you can't, you can't move when the deer are right on top of us like that. They'll, they'll pick us out every time. And so she was kind of bumming, um, felt, felt bad. You know, I just said, you know, it's not really a big deal. We just, you know, you learn from it next time, next time a deer comes in and I tell you don't move, then you don't move. And sure enough, it was kind of funny. My son's six. So he's still got a very good, uh, what do I want to call it? Imagination. He, he kind of looked at it. He picked up, picked his head up and looked at me and he said, I just made a wish. I wish that the biggest buck on our whole property would come out and then you would shoot it and then he would die. And <laughs> me and Avery, just, just like you're laughing, we busted out laughing. And I'm like, so now we're all laughing. And I'm like, guys, we got like 20 minutes of light left. We got to be quiet. This is prime time. 
And I kid you not, it, it had to have been within 60, 60 seconds. Within a minute of when he said that, and we were laughing, this big six-point pops out. I see him over on the wood line, and there's a patch of goldenrod in between us. You know, he's still probably 60 yards from us. And I was like, oh, guys, there's a good one. And so they froze. They, didn't know, they couldn't see the deer. You know, they were looking at each other. And he's walking right at us, and um, he got to the edge of the field. It's probably probably about twenty yards, and um, he he turned and he was quartering away. He was actually he wasn't even going to come out into the clover. He was he turned and he was headed back, kind of quartering up away from us, back out. And I just said, "I'm going to shoot." And they both looked out the window and saw the deer, and I pulled back shot. And as soon as I shot, the deer jumped and ran off and the kids were looking at me like, you know, did you hit them or did you miss? And I said, I smoked them and they just, they, they exploded with excitement. No, so, you, you forgot to tell. So you're hunting with a recurve too. I mean, and, and the yep, distance the, of the shot was what, how many yep, yards roughly? with a recurve? I, I don't know, 20, somewhere around 20 yards. Yeah. 20 yards. Okay. I can't, I think I did pace it off. It was, it was within a couple of yards of 20, but yeah, I was hunting with a recurve. So I don't <laughs> exa- exactly how far he was. I really don't know. Well, in your words, knowing you and knowing how you are, yeah, he's a close enough. Um, so well, that's pretty, that's all it is. Yeah. You know, it's all instinctive shooting. Yeah. So, so you hit this deer, Josh and the kids, they're starting to wonder if you actually, made this one happen. <laughs> the pressure's on you. What was the next step? The pressure steps? was on me big time. <laughs> what was the next steps? Because your daughter probably wouldn't be too happy if you screwed up again. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so uh, I was trying to listen. So I told the kids they had to be quiet. I thought I heard them crash and didn't hear anything after that. And um, I should know better by now but the kids really wanted to go track them. So I'm trying to trying to gain a few minutes here. Cause you know, the kids are really wanting to go and you, you as many times as you say, you got to give it a minute, you know, to, to me, when I say you got to give it a minute, I'm talking like a half an hour to them. You say you got to give it a minute. It's like 10 seconds, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm trying to gain some time. I text my wife. I told her you might as well meet us up here and bring some flashlights. So she was home with a baby. And so she packed up the baby and grabbed some flashlights. And by the time she came up there, I still hadn't heard anything. So I was still convinced I heard this deer crash and he was dead. So I was trying to ease along real slow. And what I couldn't see a whole lot of blood right where I hit him. And... I, I'm like, what the heck? I saw the arrow hit. I, I smoked them. And, you know, pretty much the shortest thing there is, you know, the goldenrod that's four plus feet tall. So, you know, 10, 10, 15 yards into trying to find blood. I don't know if I turned around to look at the kids or what it was, but all the blood was laying on top of everything. And it was, you know, just, like you spray the garden hose, but everything was, I couldn't see anything underneath. It was all on top. So we started tracking them and where he jumped into my woods, 
is where I heard the crash. I thought he was laying right there and he wasn't, but where he jumped over it, I don't know, six, seven, eight feet tall, where is the brush right on the line and the leaves were just coated with blood. So we worked our way through that. And by that time my wife had come up and it was dark and we got the flashlights and kept tracking them. And I'm thinking, what the heck? He should be laying right here. And then I hear rustling in the leaves and I'm like, what the heck? So I'm like, come on guys, we gotta, we gotta get out of here. So we get, we get out of there, come home, eat dinner and then go back up. And he was laying right, right where, where I heard the leaves. He just wasn't quite done yet. So the, um, Avery was the first one to run up to him, you know, like a, like a seasoned hunter. She grabs a hold of this rack and picks him up and looks up and she's like, yes, finally my first deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she definitely so, was part of the, the arrow pulling process. And yeah, I mean, that's, so that piece of it's really big and it's important because, you know, your kids, like your introduction, your, you know, your, your son, obviously with the red squirrel and now your daughter, obviously feeling that she's the hero of the equation. Yep. You know, they're, they're getting sucked into the, uh, the experience. I, I think for your family, this is a really important thing. A lot of people struggle with this and, and I can relate, right. And it's hard to get, you know, family mother, members, siblings, you know, you know, significant other spouses to, to participate, right. Whether participating with, you know, watching the kids or, you know, they're, they're involved, they're actually hunting. You know, there's, there's a lot of the sacrifice that we, we give in time and effort. And it's, uh, it's nice to have that experience. I mean, one of the benefits you have is, you know, you, you've, you've kind of critiqued your setup. You've got some good habitat, right? Um, just, just on your small property. I mean, and it's a small property, although you ran through it with, you know, guns and dogs and, you know, you didn't really treat it with soft gloves. You've, you found some success. It's, it's fun that you've, you're experiencing something and you're getting a return out of it, but you know, it's, it's tough. It's almost like you got to take what you can get at those, in those situations, because it's, it's almost like, you know, the chances of you killing maybe the more mature buck in the area because it's set up in this pristine manner and, you know, things are flowing correctly and all that kind of stuff is, um, you know, isn't really, isn't really going to happen. And, and I'm sure a part of this equation was bittersweet that you've, you've had the experience, but you know, what's the rest of the season going to look like because of all the pressure and just, just the atmosphere, the things that are happening around you. So, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts surrounding that, you know, minus the, the great experience? I mean, really, in my opinion, if you're going to get the youth involved, you, to say it bluntly, you got to get, you're going to shoot big bucks right out of your head. I mean, if that deer had been a two and a half, I mean, I'm very fortunate here. I've got one neighbor above me. Uh, they shoot nothing small. Um, and then the neighbor to the north, which is a big farm, they've got, I'm not even sure, maybe five or 600 acres. They shoot nothing small. So, so I'm very fortunate right. to live where I do, but a three and a half is really about as far as they make it here. If you get to four and a half, they're, they're few and far between. I think the, the last buck that was older than three and a half that I had to chase was also behind the house. I can't remember 
what year that was. Do you remember what year it was? Uh, it was probably three years. It was probably 20, I think. I think it was, tw- might have been 21. I think it was 20. I can tell you right now, I just pulled the tag out of his ear. It was 21. It was 21. No, 2020. 2020. 2020. Okay. Yeah, that was a giant. That was a yep. giant. We had done a little consulting, a little work there. Your neighbor, a little bit of work with them as well. I mean, so, I mean, you are in a good situation, but I mean, it, you're really, we're talking about what? 15 acres, right? You, you really have about 15 acres. I mean, you own what? 30 acres, but you, you really have about 15 dedicated to, you know, improvements and you're doing what you can. I know you did a little work on it this year, but you know, that's still a, a small parcel. Very small, very small parcel to work with, and you then, know, and you know, back, back to the getting youth, the youth involved, if you really want your youth to be involved, you got to just make it fun, whether it's shooting a doe or, or even a yearling buck, you know, in my opinion, in the grand scheme of things, if you shoot a couple of yearling bucks with your kids that are whatever, six, 10, 12 years old, it, it's a deer, deer, deer come and go. They come and go every year. You know, last year between me and the neighbor, I think there was three, three and a half year olds that we all, that we let go in hopes that they would make it. They all made it, had pictures of all of them in January, and one, one of them came back this year, and that was the one that I had hit. I'm going to add a point to this, Josh, and I want you to think about this for a second. So on my end of the, the side of the house is I've been trying to emphasize as I bring my son up, we, we talk about size of deer and age class of deer, and we're looking at does and bucks. And I have been very conscious of not prioritizing bucks in front of him. And there's another piece of this equation, right, where, you know, I I know that growing up, you and I grew up real similar, and there was always a focus on, you know, shooting a a deer and particularly shooting a buck, and that was kind of, you know, something that was a little bit ingrained with us. But with my son this year, it was interesting. We had done so much focus on, you know, we're doing age – a lot of people don't take the time to think about this, but looking at the physiology of deer and, you know, making a determination if it's mature, et cetera, the piece of this is looking at the does as much as it is the bucks. And we do that on our property. I age class the does and the bucks in a category because I'm, I'm thinking about consumptive rates. Uh, this is just my scientific mind, right, Josh? So, but yep. when Tristan had the chance at his deer, he said to me, dad, is she old enough? And this is a doe. And at that point, it really didn't matter if she was old enough, she was close enough. <laughs> and so I just, emphasize the point that if you are antler focused there's another way to approach this and just looking at your complete herd and just getting the kids to buy in as a deer is a deer is a deer and it doesn't mean anything unless it's a sizable deer to that matter and that's you know that's qualifying you know what you think is one of your your goals of shooting you know more mature deer for that matter but it, it could just be getting the deer in front of them and you know he mentioned to me I don't think it's a fawn dad. I think I'll take it. And I'm like, just shoot the damn deer. And, Perfect. you know, yep. and, and, that, and that's the mindset uh, that, that I want to just have people think more about. Cause we do focus on mature deer, you know, and we're, we're talking about mature deer right now. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I'm just kind of throwing that out. It's just a different perspective. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, really, yeah, I agree. It's not really, I try not to, I'm not as scientific minded as you are, but really with the kids, I just try to keep it to, 
old enough, big and small. Yeah. You know, your yearling bucks are small and anything bigger than that is big enough. And, and they get that, you know, I, I had pretty much anything two and a half or better. If the kids are with me, that's, that's, that's what we're targeting. Yeah. So you set certain expectations for yourself based on the circumstance. So, and, I mean, any, any, I guess, rack buck as if you'd call it, that is good enough because like the two kids that are hunting with me are, we're six and nine in a at six and nine years old, you know, six point, eight point, ten point, none of it matters. If they have an, a somewhat sizable rack to grab a hold of, they're just as excited. It doesn't matter if it's 150 inches or 80 inches. That that's that's my opinion on it. Yep. No, it's good. So I want to get to the the important piece of this, and uh, people care the most about these things. So off those topics is you had some major success here just recently. So we had talked earlier about the prior year's deer that you had wounded, uh, recovered, no issues. You did have some encounters with that deer later that year, sometime around Christmas. And you had some intel that the deer had survived. And going into this season, you know, you had a target deer. And, and it was on it was on the back burner because everything else that you had going on, bear, your kids, you know, beagles, a new baby, just, you know, your business. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Yep. Let's talk about the next piece of this is, you know, your and, and not to jump ahead, but you had some major success here, and, and I'm I'm quite happy for you. So let's talk a little bit about this particular deer, your breakdown of this deer in the hunt. Okay, so the breakdown of this deer started a year ago in September. One of so last year there there was not one buck older than three and a half available for me to hunt. So. And, and what we say before, you got to be realistic with what your expectations are. If you want to shoot a five and a half year old, if there's none around, you're never going to shoot one. You're, you're, you're a bird watcher. In my opinion, I'm a hunter, just like most people that are going to listen to this podcast are hunters, um, all of them, but I'm okay with shooting a three and a half. I like to shoot deer too. I like to eat deer. I like the whole part of it. It's not a hundred percent the rack size or the age or, you know, I'm happy with a three and a half. That's in my opinion. Yep. So last year, I think that there was three, I believe there was three, three and a half year old bucks that I knew of. Two of them were fairly regular on my property in September. Um, so I'm trying to think. I, it was the first week of the season. I cannot remember which child I had with me, but this buck came out. I hit him, and I knew as soon as my arrow hit him, it was high and forward. And I looked and looked and looked, called the dog in. Everybody came up with the same conclusion. This deer wasn't dead. And the neighbor that shares pictures with me, he was nice enough to let me go look on his property because it's tight for me. So again, I'm very fortunate to have that good neighbor next to me that allows me to do these things. And, and so far he's been very, very good. 
Um, I have a very small piece. He's got a much larger piece, and he he has a very good very good attitude about it. He said, "If we're gonna, well, just last Sunday it was rainy and crummy. He texted me to see if I was hunting because he needed to change batteries and cameras. I'm just very thankful that if I was hunting, he wasn't gonna change batteries because he didn't want to screw me up. And he just." I thanked him for it, and he said, "If we're gonna kill big bucks, we got to stick together." So I'm very fortunate to have that neighbor. And um, so anyway, back to the deer. So everybody came up with the conclusion that the deer lived, and a, somewhere within a week, it was either five or seven days. I got a picture of him in the middle of the night, alive. So I knew he was alive. That's all I knew. And it was probably at some point during the season, the neighbor had gotten a couple pictures of him. So I knew he wasn't, he didn't die of infection, which I was happy about. And then he disappeared for a while. And so I figured he got shot Christmas Eve. uh, I can't remember who it was, but one of the, I think it was my daughter said there was deer out the kitchen window and I look and Oh, yep. There's some deer. And she says, no, that one's a buck. And I'm looking at it, looking at it. And I said, holy cow, that is a good buck. So we're just watching it. I'm like, holy smokes, I think that's the one I hit. You got to be kidding me. So I run to get binoculars, and he disappeared. And uh, probably five or ten minutes later, out, out the living room door, there was a deer out eating apples. And it happened to be the buck that I had hit. And I think, I can't remember if it was two or three other bucks. I had at least three bucks eating apples 20 yards from my living room window on Christmas Eve. So I was pretty happy to see that. He looked good, looked healthy. So that was, that was a good feeling, just knowing that he made it. And I had killed a buck with a rifle and with a bow last year, so I was done. And... um all we had at that point was the holiday season, and he all but disappeared. Never saw him again, never got another picture again until this September. Never found his sheds. I looked for his sheds. Never found them, so he pretty much vanished. And then September this year, the neighbor sent me a picture, and I, I knew instantly that that was the deer that I had hit the year before. Um, and then I saw him once in September and that that was pretty much it until closer to October. I got a picture of him in the middle of the night. I think it was two or three o'clock in the morning. So he was, he was hanging close, but not, not physically on my property, but he was close. I can hunt one of the neighbor's properties. That's where I got the picture of him. And so I shot my buck with a bow, so so I'm done. And then I think I got one more picture of him in the middle of the night, mid-October. And it was the first week of November. I can't remember what day, but my wife came home from um, taking the kids to school, and I happened to be home that day. And she said she saw a heck of a buck and took a picture of it from her car cross the road in front of her. And I looked at the picture and I said, that that's my buck. No doubt about it. That's my buck. And he was going right up in the front side of the hill. 
Not that I can do anything about it, but he's right here. All I can do is hope that he makes it. And I think from then until gun season, I can't remember if I got another picture of him or not. But basically how things were playing out, it was every 10 to 14 days I'd get a picture of him in the middle of the night. And so I'm getting really antsy to hunt at this point because usually I, I like hunting the rut. I like the excitement. It's just a, an exciting time to be in the woods. And, I, I mean, I could go hunt for a doe, but I don't even want to put myself in that situation. So I got invited to go up north to a club that I normally go up to to hunt hare. I got invited up to deer hunt. So I said, yeah, I'll go up and hunt. You know, I'm dying to hunt. And my wife said it was okay. You know, she was good for for two days without me again. So I go up there to hunt. And I've never deer hunted up there. So I get up there. I meet the guy that invited me up. It was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And he says, hop in. I'll take you to a good spot. And so I hop in his machine, and he takes me out to a good spot, this spot. And he pointed me in the direction of the stand. And so I make my way to the stand and climb up in it. And I wasn't there for probably a half an hour. So this is veterans, veterans weekend, veterans day weekend. And I rattle. Three minutes later, I look over and there's a beautiful chocolate horn, three and a half year old Adirondack buck. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe this deer is standing here. I probably should shoot this deer. About that time, the wind blew, and they had canvas around this stand I was in, and the canvas started fluttering in the wind, and the deer jumped like a cat, all four legs, and went to the side of the opening that I had to shoot down. And I grabbed my gun, pulled my gun up, and there was a giant spruce limb that covered. I could see his head and his back legs. Everything else was covered. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not taking that shot. That's, I, I'm sure I could shoot through a spruce limb and it would be fine, but it's not, it's not worth it. Not worth the risk. So that deer walks off. Probably that was probably that could be the biggest buck I'll ever see in the Adirondacks. I don't hunt up there a lot, but that was a good one. And I get back to camp that night and they were going through all the trail cam pictures. And I told the guys which one I let go and everybody there was just in disbelief that, that I didn't shoot that deer. And, you know, a lot of the guys, if they see a two and a half year old up there, that's, that's a good moment for them. So they were not thrilled with me, but they got a good laugh out of it anyways. And, um, so it was fun, fun weekend. I saw some other deer. It was it was a good weekend up there. Good guys up there. And then so I come home and didn't feel very good Sunday night. I ended up getting the stomach bug. And so that lasted, you know, whatever day or two. And I have Crohn's, so every time I have something like that, my Crohn's flares up. So you know, a 24-hour bug for me usually turns into three or four days worth of not feeling good. So that was, I think it was Thursday evening, I finally started feeling 
better. So Friday was Friday before gun season was spent just getting ready and, you know, getting ready for the weekend. And Saturday morning I wake up and my son wanted to go opening day. My son wants to go. So I said, okay, I woke him up early opening day. We go get in the stand and, um, just had high hopes of my buck showing up and we're not there for an hour and he's cold. He wants to go home. And I'm just thinking to myself, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me an hour into daylight. And I'm, <laughs> I'm walking back home. Yeah. But the, the, but again, if you got kids with you, that's what you have to do. Cause if you make them sit there and deal with it, it's not fun. You're, you're going to ruin them. So I suck it up and climb down and walk back home. And I, he came home. I turned around and went back. Get back in the stand, and my wife texts me. She's not feeling well. And, I'm, you know, that's just the way things go. So by lunchtime, I heard a buck grunt. I knew it was a good buck down below me, but I hadn't seen him. And that was probably sometime around 10 o'clock. And by noon, my wife texted me. She said, you need to come home. Not, I'm not doing good. So I come home. Sunday was the same thing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a early riser anyway. So usually if I am home, I'm the first one up. And it's quite a long time before anybody else is. So Sunday morning I wake up and I'm like, I'll just get ready and go. If I got to come home, I got to come home. So same thing Sunday. Wife's not feeling good, so I come home. I took the kids out. Uh, not out back here, but I over my dad's property. Just kind of trying to help her out. You know, we have an infant, but he doesn't want the bottle. He wants his mom. So that's still kind of on her, but I help as much as I can. So Sunday was pretty much blown. Monday was the same way. She didn't feel well. So I took the kids and I had to go do blood work and, you know, just being being a dad, doing what dads do. And then Monday afternoon, I got pictures of two decent bucks, both chasing different does. So my wife was feeling good enough that she could at least handle the baby on her own. And I grabbed the two kids and we went out back, never saw a deer. And then I can't remember when, but at some point over the weekend, I did get a picture of my buck again in the middle of the night. And, um, so I knew, I knew he was still alive. I hunted the rest of the week, Thanksgiving week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I think it was Friday. Do you, I don't, do you remember what day it was? What day I told you he was going to show up? No, I don't, I don't, don't remember. remember. Which day. But I, I remember having, we had a conversation about he was going to show up one of, one of these days. Yeah. You know, whether it was day, daylight or not, he was going to, he was going to be around. And one of those days he did daylight and I was not in the right spot. And I, I figured that was my, my only opportunity I was going to get at that buck. I, I know I hunted for him every day. It might not have been all day, but it was every day. Um, and then <laughs> every day for how many days? Uh, well, I guess I'll say it at this point, but I killed that buck and it was the 15th day of the season. There was only one day 
that I did not hunt. I hunted, but not for him. I went somewhere else. I had to go for a walk when we got snow. I'm not a big, I can only take so much tree stand sitting. I like to put some miles on. So there was only one day in 15 days that I, that I did not hunt my hill. So 15, the 15th day of the season, which was, what day was that? Sunday. Yeah. Sunday afternoon. It rained. I think it was most of the day Saturday and Sunday. And I talked to you on Sunday talking about, you know, didn't know what to do, but I, I had a hunch that, oh, I woke up Sunday morning. That's what it was. I woke up Sunday morning and I had a picture of that buck yeah. on my property. Yep. Actually, right where I had hit him, and he was headed south, um, so not on my property. He was headed off my property, but at any rate, he was on my side of the road, which meant the next couple days he was going to show up. So we had a long t- conversation on where to go, and, you know, do you hunt the does or do you hunt that specific deer? Cause there was two different spots. I'd hung one stand just, just for that deer. The one spot that I had, what I would say consistent pictures, which was every 10, 10 to 14 days in the middle of the night. So came up with the conclusion that I needed to hunt for that deer. And so Sunday afternoon, I went up, climbed up in the stand and typical for New York state gun season, sat there all afternoon, didn't see a single deer. And then 10 minutes before dark, I could hear antlers and it's thick down in this area. So when the bucks are rubbing trees, it sounds similar to two bucks fighting, just a lot of antler clashing. And so a couple, a minute or two of that, and I see a deer go through one of the openings. So I pull the gun up waiting for, at that point, I, I was thinking that it was a buck with a doe. So I put the gun up and I see something off to my right. So I remember looking off to my right, nothing. It was a bird or something. So I look back in the scope and there's this buck standing there in the opening. So without hesitation, click safety off shoot. He wheeled around went back to where he came from. And I'm sitting there in disbelief because I thought that I had missed. And it was maybe 75 yards, somewhere in that range, not that far. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I was 98% sure it was my buck, but everything happened so fast. All I really knew was that, that it was a good one. But I was quite certain that it, that was the buck that I had hit the year before. I, I keep calling him my buck. I don't have a name for him. I just called him my buck. And so I talked to you and I talked to a couple other guys. One guy in particular, he kept telling me, he's like, I'm telling you, you hit him, you double lunged him. That's, you know, if I, he's like, if you missed him, he wouldn't have blown out of there like he did. So that gave me hope that I did hit him, but I'm still questioning it in the back of my mind. So I go up there. It's so thick up there. I couldn't even find where the deer was standing. So we had rain coming, heavy rain. And I ended up coming home 
I got my thermal scope for coyotes and I made a big loop all around the bottom of the hill, just scanning, trying to find a, a body. Couldn't come up with anything other than live deer. So I'm like, what the heck? You got to be kidding me. <clears throat> so I make a whole loop back up around and I'm still thinking to myself, there, I just can't believe that I missed that deer because very seldom do I miss. So I make a whole loop around the hill, go back down. I start hanging my headlamp on branches and I'd run back up to the stand, go back down, move the light, go back to my stand. I didn't want a whole bunch of people up there walking around because I wasn't even sure that I hit the buck. So I didn't want, you know, three or four guys tromping around in the dark. So I finally figured out where I thought that he was in the dark and boom, there's a spot of blood. And I'm like, thank God. And so, you know, it, it's all goldenrod. It's like an overgrown pasture, goldenrod that's four foot tall with shrubs and brush everywhere. Thick nightmare to track in the goldenrod. So I talked to you and we got, another a friend of ours that you, you told me I should call him for help because he's a master tracker. So I'm on the phone with him, and um, I ended up getting on the phone with a guy I went to Missouri with last year. He was the one that told me I double-lunged him, and he's, I told him, you know, we got heavy rain coming, and I'm still doubting the hit because I found one little chunk of meat, maybe, maybe the size of your pinky fingernail, small, but it made me nervous because still I'm finding very little blood and he's, I remember him telling me, he's like, I'm telling you, you got to get a couple spots marked out, figure out how far his stride is, whether it's 10 of my steps or 15 of my steps and just straight line, whatever direction he's going. And you'll find blood with every bound, wherever he hits the ground, you'll find blood. So he was right. And I figured out how far his stride was. I went probably 50 or 60 yards finding good blood, better blood with every bound he was making. So I'm feeling pretty good at this point. And now it's pouring, pouring rain. And um, I get to a point, I lose the blood. So I go back and forth a couple times. I can't find which direction you went. So one of the stands that I had put up this year was right down the hill from me. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go run up, climb up in the stand because I can see the hillside. So I go down, climb up in my stand, turn on my thermal scope, and start scanning, and I find one oval spot. So I'm on it for a while. Didn't move, didn't move, didn't move, and it was probably 50 or 60 yards from where I just lost blood. And it didn't move. So I was pretty confident that that was my deer. So I climbed down, and I run up there, and I just start body searching and found him laying there. And I, I double lunged him. He was, he was just running dead on his feet. There's a couple takeaways from this story. And that's interesting to me to sit here and listen to you talk about your season, because it was a season kind of based on hope. I don't, you know, I always thought you were in the game and you were, you're kind of in the edge and you know, it's, you got a good shrubland thicket over there that that's just just primed. I mentioned that in the last podcast how much we value, you know, shrubland areas and the landscape and how important. And this is this is a good example of that. But you're not a person that spends 
you know, that much time after a particular deer, let alone, you know, trying to diagnose every movement and aspect of his movement on the landscape to figure out at this cadence of like his interest in your area when you can go after him. And so to me, you know, trying to figure out a deer in that circumstance and then actually connecting speaks volumes to your commitment to that deer um, and let alone your success and trying to make a shot in those circumstances, low light, right? Legal low light, but you know, yep. it's, it was, it was dark that day. We had an impending rainstorm, things working against you. And, you know, you did make the shot, but again, the tracking aspect, that's where a lot of guys lose deer and they get frustrated and, you know, you kind of put some, you know, you use some resources from for your friends and then, you know, you got smart about it. And you know, obviously the, the thermal scope didn't, didn't hurt in that instance, but from your takeaway this season, which is, um, and I'm not trying to, you know, criticize you in any capacity, we have different styles. You, we, we flipped roles. You became the, you know, very strategic, like plan <laughs> planner. And, uh, you know, what, what did you take away from the season after that commitment to this deer? Because it's a long time after a deer and an older deer and a, you know, probably one of the only four-year-olds I think you probably had on camera this year. What, what did you take away? If you're after a particular deer, you better be ready to grind and just stick it out because I guess it depends on what you have for, for property. You know, you know, maybe I'm sure some people have a fair amount more property than I do, but what little I have to work with here, it was really just, I needed that deer to make a mistake is what I needed, whether it was find a doe or just get lucky by chance and have him show up in the daylight the one time that he did that during the gun season, I thought that that was my chance. I figured it was over at that point. I just, by chance, I got that picture of him that morning. I guess to answer your question, you got to just be ready to grind. It, it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of thinking to go after a, a particular deer at that point in the season. Very different than early or late season. You know, it's just, that is a very difficult time of year to hunt for a particular deer. I think there's some things that I'll just promote from this story is the fact that, you know, beyond your commitment for one particular deer, which is, is unlike you sometimes. And unlike a lot very of people, unlike me. Yeah. Yeah. And second piece of this is some things happen in, in cadence to this, right? You had a nice bear, you know, for your first black bear, You'd killed a, a nice three and a half year old with your kids. Life is good. And then you made this commitment, you know, pending all the other trip ups and sickness and everything that goes along with the season. And again, you're on a small piece of property. And it's, it's keying in on the areas that deer most prefer during that time of year. And you mentioned thicket areas or thick areas and shrubland. And, you know, you did some, you know, minor improvements, you know, kind of on the line between you and the adjacent property that you're able to hunt. And so, you know, and other people can hunt those areas as well. You're not the only one hunting the area. Yep. There's, there's something to be said with, you know, knowing the time and place. And that's a commitment of looking at data. And Josh got his first cell cameras this year. 
and <laughs> and uh, you didn't even know how to you didn't even know what an app was, which is hilarious. You, you learned all about that in in quick manner. You're a smart guy, but you know you you like to stick to what you know. You know traditional uh, style of hunting. So you know you're using technology now in some capacity, but instinctually the technology was only meaningful in the sense that it gave you some data and gave you the flexibility to not be in and out in the field too frequent. It, it yep. you know, allowed you to be remote. Part of the, part of the commitment is taking the time to look at that data. And it's the first time I think in the history of us, you know, obviously being friends I and mean, obviously we're business partners, but you know, you actually sitting down and like drawing out maps and analyzing, you sent me a map one night and I'm just like, wow, he is deep in thought tonight. <laughs> and I was, I was impressed because those are, those are things that I have a tendency to do myself. And, you know, I kind of stepped away from that a little bit this year and just kind of hunted. And, uh, I think if you're going after one deer and that's all you got to work with, a lot of people can relate to this, that, that, uh, hunt these tough areas. What I've said over the years is like, it's almost like you're hitting a a bet now and you got to straighten the nail and, and get it in that hole and it's not a preformed hole. It's it's a brand new hole that you're trying to hit a bent nail into. It's hard That's a to good analogy. It's hard to bend the nail back and make it work. This is a little bit different from thread the needle. There's a finesse. There's a, a, a commitment level. There's there's a strategy piece of this. You know, every hit of that hammer is meaningful when you're trying to get that nail in that hole and it's bent. So I would say when you're thinking about hunting in this manner. You know, this is the type of mindset you have to have. And one of the things that I've learned from you over the years, Josh, is obviously truthfulness and integrity are, are number one with both of us, right? And and you've made me accountable to that and vice versa. But the other piece of it is doing it right. And when you set yourself, uh, set a goal for yourself and you, you decide to stick with that goal and you did stick with that goal, be committed to the outcome and the outcome could be complete failure, you were on the you were on the brink of failure or success any single day that you hunted this deer, and I, I give you credit for pay, putting that much time into a particular deer. Some people may not think that's that's a lot of time, but but it is because you got jobs, you've got commitments, you got a ton of th- stuff going on. You're waiting, uh, you're weighing all these different uh, aspects of your life. You know, fortunate for you, things things kind of worked out. But that's my that's my synopsis of of uh, your success here. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, I'm unfortunate to be self-employed. You know, you, you work extra hard when you can, and that gives me the flexibility when I need it. And I needed it this gun season. And I'm probably the most fortunate thing was I have a spouse that is very understanding and a strong woman. She was, I mean, if you think about that, I want everybody to think about that. Everybody that's listening, that's 15 straight days of hunting. You know, that that's, that's pretty good to have a spouse that that'll let you do that and have a, a lifestyle that you're able to do that. So, I mean, it was, this is by far the best season I have ever had. Not, yeah. not the most inches of antler or, you know, all that other, baloney this is by far the best season i've ever had yeah it's good you know it's it's nice to have you on the podcast and i think i wanted to slow down today and appreciate different aspects of just your thinking and i think it's important for people to keep it simple but recognizing some examples 
you may have to up your game. Josh was only up his game this year and using some technology, which, you know, there's a ton of controversy around that at this point. And I'll tell you one thing, this whole predictive intelligence or predictive modeling for deer and some of the tools they're using, the AI algorithms, you know, those are important in the sense that it gives you some data feedback. But some of it's just thinking ahead and looking about what deer prefers. It's woodsmanship coped with good hunting experience and knowledge and understanding deer interest in biology. There's a lot of it that isn't so predictive in the sense that a tool is going to give you the answers that you need. It'll give you information, but the decision part of it isn't always AI-driven. It's individual-driven, and I think Josh has a proven, um, you know, you, you, you proved yourself in, in that respect that it didn't tell you what to do. It gave you information so you could make a better informed decision. And obviously that, that did or didn't play in your success at this, you know, the day that you killed that deer, but it was relevant to the overall big picture of things. And I think your commitment is, is really kind of what speaks volumes. I mean, it, it, without the information, I would have never killed him. Had I not had a cell camera in that location, I would have not known he was here, uh, you know, and as soon as he was close, I knew within the next three days he was coming, he was going to be through there. Yeah. So that, you know, that that's as much information as I had. So you just got to sit there and grind, sit there and wait. That's the only thing you can do. All right, man, we're at the end of this. Uh, our season's coming up here soon. I'm on the road, and um, you'll start doing some habitat work with clients and logging, et cetera. So we'll be busy here coming up. Um, anything you want to say to the audience? No, hope everybody's having a good season. Hopefully as good as I was having <laughs> or have had. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll uh, put the picture of you and the deer up on the, uh, you know, the image here for this particular podcast. And uh, I appreciate everybody following me. I'm about to get into some pretty intricate things when it comes to habitat design and layout. This will be a different year than the other years. I've got some uh, new guests coming on. We're actually going to do some field conversions and agricultural development. There's there's some new concepts that you're going to learn this year that um, are going to be different from anything you've heard before. And uh, some of it's backed up in science and some of it's artistic and in my field. So, you know, you'll, you'll hear some new things from us and, uh, I'm really excited. I think we're going to have Rocky on here talking about he just killed a giant yesterday. I don't know if you know that, Josh, but Rocky Burris killed a giant. And, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll get get uh, him on here and probably Steve one more, and then we'll we'll start getting the habitat season. And Jake, myself, and Todd and, and the rest of the crew will come back, and we'll start talking about, you know, plans for this year and, and ideas and, you know, philosophy and things that we're, we're trying to employ with our clients. So, all right, brother. Thanks for taking your time out of your day. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for you and um, happy for you. And, and um, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, you know, next season is just as fruitful as this one. Let's hope. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. All right. Talk soon. See ya. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com